Hi, and welcome to the Tech Podcast from Huawei London, and this special Future Transport edition recorded from the Future Lab at Goodwood Festival of Speed. But first, we're going to take a quick step back in time, and where better to start than 1900 BC? Be careful as you climb aboard our chariot. These are a little tricky to steer. With four horses, we're certainly picking up speed. Whoa, maybe you should come down from 16 legs to a two-wheeled hobby horse, now known as a modern-day bike, invented in 1817 by German baron named Karl von Dre. If we want to go a little faster, buckle up as we ride into 1886, patent number 37435, registered by Carl Benz for his vehicle powered by a gas engine. Regarded as the birth certificate of the automobile. Finally, please remain seated as we introduce you to Wilbur and Orville better known as the Wright Brothers, as they take their first aircraft on a test run. Thank you for flying on the Tech Podcast Airways. It's been amazing as we look back from horses, carts, bikes, cars to aircrafts, just how important engineering advancements have been to transportation. And it's not stopped yet. As we look to the future, we've been talking to those who continue to challenge our understanding of travel and transportation. First up, and you'll love this, what do you get if you cross a car with an aeroplane? Introducing Palvi. So Andy, could you describe to us what we're seeing here today? Okay, so we have two vehicles in front of us. One is in drive mode, which is quite stealthy, low slung, low to the ground, with its rotor system neatly folding on the roof, which is also very useful because it's out of the way, out of the harm, and not going to be bashed by Tesco trolleys or so on and so forth. The second vehicle you're looking at is slightly larger in terms of how it's positioning on the road. So it's sitting higher, it's got pneumatic assistance, so it brings it up off the ground, gives it ground clearance. It's got a huge mast on it and, of course, a 10-meter rotor system. So that gives you a clue as to what it can actually do. Yeah, and I notice here you've got three wheels on the vehicle. Can you explain the thinking behind that design? Yeah, so there's several reasons, but three wheels essentially is the absolute requirement for most aircraft. If you look around and see your 737 or whatever, your Piper Cherokee, the reason being that a four-wheel vehicle is almost impossible to land, but basically they will squirrel and move around. So as an aircraft, primarily our safety is our concern, so three wheels is the way to go. And of course, we've got great suspension and a very low center of gravity. So on the road, all the fears of the previous three wheelers that existed have all been banished. Okay, so Andy, if we look at the um, first car here, how long does it take? Can you talk me through the process of the conversion from a car to a plane? Yeah, it's a good question. So actually what we'd do is we'd get out of the car, we unlatch two catches, which then release the tail. We pull the tail out, then we then are servo-assisted for the rest of the conversion. The mast comes up, the rotors are then folded out, the propeller is then appearing from behind the engine compartment, and that's pretty much it. So the process from start to finish takes about four minutes. Wow, so that's amazing, that's incredibly quick. Um, and speaking of speed, can you talk us through how fast, how far and how high does this vehicle go? 
Yeah, sure. On the road, she's got a speed of up to 100 miles an hour where, where the uh, limits are perm permitting. Uh, 0-60 sub 10 seconds. We have a aviation VNE, so that's velocity never exceeds. So max speed in the air is 115 miles an hour. Cruise speed of about 95, and that would give you approximately 300 miles of endurance. So about three hours. Brilliant. So how do you see the flying car put into action? Well, initially, I think what we are looking at is the acceptance of this as a genre in itself. And for sure, there are a lot of private individuals that either have work commitments or possibly a potential for going from A to B to C. And the beauty of that being is they can start the journey in their own home and they can finish the journey where they want to be rather than actually starting at airports and finishing at airports. So that's firstly one of the, the uh, actual practical applications. Moving forwards, yes, yeah, sure, we have potential for uh, emergency services, delivery of uh, vital supplies and other aspects which we'll come on to. Brilliant. I was just going to ask that actually. So what type of scenarios would require an investment like this? Yeah, I mean, we've had inquiries from people looking to, uh, for example, in Africa, some of the areas which are inhabited, uh, you know, via more wildlife than people, that the access to those areas would require aviation. And so to starting off in a city environment, providing medical care to inner villages, but having easy access and having a way of transporting them once we arrive, that would be the key for this such a vehicle. Amazing. So there's lots of uh, cool elements of this hybrid car and plane. What are the features and how can they change the future of travel? Well, I mean, what you're actually looking at is essentially a aircraft, an aircraft that actually is driving on the roads, which is pretty fundamental. And seeing that in that context, rather than being a flying car, really belies what it is. So in aviation, we have a, a, an, an article which is often talked about called press on itis. So the, the problem we have in general aviation is that the weather can often turn. We can end up with stormy weather en route. Well, the beauty of the flying car is we can simply divert, land in an airfield, and then continue the journey by car, or vice versa. So I think that that will radically change the aspects of most people's perspective of how to fly in GA. Exactly. There's a huge opportunity you mentioned there. So what kind of demand are you seeing for flying cars? Well, that's a good one. Uh, ironically, the, the biggest demand so far has come from the automotive sector. Um, they're seeing a very great uh, integration of their dream of flying and driving all in one package and that's certainly been the biggest growth. So uh, demand, we initially started selling in the Benelux area and we have hundreds, literally hundreds. We have some famous rock stars even over here in the UK that have signed up. Um, why not? And yeah, here at Goodwood the demand has been absolutely incredible. It's, it's insane, really. Uh, it's taken us by surprise, but um, yeah, everyone, everyone seems to love the flying car. Yeah, so it's here, it's happening today. How soon can we expect to see one of these flying cars on the UK roads? Well, the road going permission is already granted. So in theory, we could actually drive off. Uh, you know, I've got the keys. Where do you want to go? Um, flying wise, we're looking at possibly somewhere in the region of six to eight months uh, before the EASA regulations and us have completed our certification. So this time next year, we should be doing flight demos and possibly breaking the world record for going up the hill. Oh, wow. That's super exciting. So tell us what's next. What's the biggest thing that you've got coming up? Yeah, so getting through all of the tape, uh, the red tape, the, uh, the regulations was first uh, for us. 
Secondly, we're looking at scaling up. So different uh, automotive options, different variations, so possibly going into four-seater variants, uh, looking at different power propulsion units. We're currently running with petrol engine uh, aircraft engines. However, the next stage will clearly be hybrid and possibly after that, some other solution which is coming. Brilliant. We were really looking forward to seeing that come into action. Thank you very much for your time, Andy. Thank you. How great was that? A car that could take you to the skies. So, coming back down to earth now, let's hear from Trigo, a new company that's completely reimagined the motorbike. We're showcasing our newest prototype. Uh, it's already f the fourth generation of prototypes and the last generation of the vehicle which we call a prototype. The following ones will be already pre-production vehicles. Uh, the vehicle is very special as uh, this is the first uh, design that successfully, globally first design that successfully combines the virtues and the best uh, characteristics of a two-wheeler, uh, such as agility, capability of passing traffic jams, uh, and parking nearly everywhere uh, with those of a car and that is uh, safety, comfort, practicality of an enclosed cabin. Could you talk about a little bit about the physical design and the features of the product here? Right, so uh, it's not so easy just to put a cabin on top of a very narrow chassis like a motorcycle or for that matter any na narrow configuration because of uh, physics. Uh, high center of gravity make, would make it uh, unstable so we have to do a trick and our trick is uh, the variable geometry suspension which changes the track width of the vehicle depending on speed for low speed operations up to say 35 kilometers an hour uh, your track is can be very narrow so that you can pass traffic jams uh, anyhow doing that at higher speed would be quite dangerous uh, whereas for uh, higher speeds the sus front suspension of the, of the vehicle expands to the width of, um, of a car, uh, which gives the vehicle stability. It's, uh, it's a unique solution, uh, the only one in the world, uh, and also covered with patent protection uh, all over the world. And I can see that here. So you've mentioned the very unique design it has. So how would you define this in terms of um, the vehicle type? Would you say it's closer to being a bike or more of a car? Uh, in terms of safety and comfort, it is a car, and definitely it is a car, and anyone who drives a car can jump in and drive and drive Trigo. Uh, but in terms of functionality, and especially uh, how much time you can save, it's definitely a bike. A bike that wouldn't like to kill you, if you like. Brilliant, it's definitely bringing the best hybrid of both features. Um, and speaking of features, could you talk about some of the um, amazing design and features and the benefits they might bring to some of your um, customers? Yeah, so uh, look, uh, the most important thing is, uh, is, is the functionality and the biggest uh, uh, gain that our users will have is uh, the time saving, uh, but also life saving. It just appeared to me that probably there are already some people who will survive because they, are not, they will not be riding motorcycle or a scooter and have an accident, uh, but will be driving uh, Trigo. Uh, you have a fully enclosed cabin with roll cage built into it. You have uh, safety belts, everything that you would expect from a car. You can have uh, airbags, although we are not mandated to use airbags in this ca uh, category of uh, homologation. And then finally, you don't have uh, the things that you have on motorcycle, which is the need of wearing helmet and uh, and protective protective clothes. Uh, 
the vehicle itself is a tandem configuration. There is a place to sit uh, the driver and the passenger. Passenger sits behind the driver. Uh, it is surprisingly roomy inside uh, because you, if you look at Trigo, it's 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 narrow because that's uh, that's the main feature of it. Uh, but actually, internal width of the vehicle at the sh shoulder shoulder height uh, is exactly half of the width of a BMW Series 7, which means you have plenty of room because you have this half of BMW Series 7 for yourself. Amazing. And one of the things that really strikes me as being quite unique with Trigo is the business model you have. And we've all heard about software as a service, but can you tell us more about the mobility as a service? Right. So. Uh, I guess you probably know the car sharing services. It's a business model that is, uh, on one hand, supposed to be uh, bringing a lot of benefits to the cities, to the uh, people who live in the cities. On the other hand, it, as it turns out, it's 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 um, it's struggling. It's struggling because the car sharing vehicles they drive too little, they accumulate in the wrong places, they are not available in the places they would be uh, needed. Now, Trigo passes through traffic jams. Trigo is very easy to park, uh, actually 43 times easier statistically to park than a car. You will pass 43 places to park Trigo before you find the first spot to park a car. Now uh, that means uh, Trigo will be very efficient tool for implementing mobility as a service uh, services. Uh, simply it will drive more. Uh, our idea is that we don't uh, commercialize Trigo di directly through sales to the end users. We rather um, commercialize it through mobility as a service uh, in, specific, in specific cities. You, ha you don't have to invest in that, you don't have to uh, own it, you don't have to cover the cost of ownership. You just rent it, you use it, when you don't, use it, when you don't need it anymore, you just leave it. I love that and I think the ability to find a parking space without causing a headache is just such an amazing feature. Are there any kind of industries that you're looking at where you think that this could really be a benefit? Right, so uh, a little bit to our surprise, uh, customers started coming, business customers or fleet customers started coming uh, with um, applications for Trigo that we didn't even think of. Uh, one such uh, surprise to us was, uh, was coming from uh, Southeast Asia, where the authorities of one of the, of the countries requested us to prepare a Trigo, a version that would be uh, serving as a, a firefighting first responder. They have typhoon, uh, which means during a big part of the year they cannot be sending people on uh, scooters, two-wheelers, for the site of accident, uh, which they typically typically do, it's illegal to do it during such weather conditions. And they were looking for solution for this firefighting first responder that would uh, be usable throughout the year. So that's uh, just one application. We of course can think of last mile delivery services, medical transport uh, as well, and uh, public safety and security services. Great, so you mentioned about how um, the vehicle can adapt to certain spaces and road widths. Could you tell us a little bit more about that technology? Uh, yeah, that's our uh, unique selling point and our trick uh, that actually allows us to, to be building vehicles that can afford being narrow and having enclosed cabin uh, at the same time. Uh, it works uh, in a very simple way. Uh, you have front wheels which uh, are linked to the chassis in such a way that they can operate in two main uh, configuration, the narrow configuration we call maneuvering configuration, the wide configuration we call cruise configuration, and then the transi transition between the narrow 
maneuvering and cruise wide um, configuration happens uh, while on the move. Uh, the driver presses a button on the steering wheel. The uh, suspension either expands or uh, retracts. Obviously, everything is uh, done under uh, control of a computer, so the computer will not allow you to make the suspension narrow if you go too fast, and it will also not allow you to go too fast with already narrow suspension. So at certain point, you have to decide whether you want to go fast. If you want to go fast, you press the button. The suspension expands. The whole process takes about two seconds. And actually, uh, if you didn't know about it while driving the, the vehicle, you could miss it because it's, it's so flawless. It's, it, 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 it's just completely seamless, uh, takes very little time. Uh, once you expand it, you can go faster than the 35 kilometers an hour. Uh, and then again, uh, if you are in the cruise configuration, uh, you see the traffic uh, jam approaching. You slow down, you take your decision, press the button, the, the vehicle gets narrow, and again, the whole transition process is two seconds. Moving on from the reimagined bike to the design of a new car, meet Aero from Heatherwick Studios, who have taken a totally fresh approach to the design from the inside out. We're a multidisciplinary practice. We're a studio of about 170 architects, designers, industrial designers, makers, people from photography backgrounds, and we work on a really, really broad range of projects, from architecture to furniture to bridges to vehicles to clothing, even perfume bottles. Oh, wow. So with all, all of that, what are you showcasing here at Goodwood today, and can you describe what we're looking at? So just behind you is a large full-scale model of the car called Aero that we've designed for the Shanghai Automotive Company. And it's, let's say, a large-scale SUV-style vehicle. But the reason it's called Aero is a clue and part one of two really big ideas that we think the project is showcasing. You mentioned before um, you guys do a lot in design work. How have you used your skills in design um, to rethink and reapply that to urban cities? In a way, it's, it's quite scary to be here in amongst all of the amazing history of automotive design because we've never designed a car before. But actually, I think that's been to our advantage because we've thought of this project like a piece of uh, utility for people who live in urban environments. And so rather than just think about the fact that cars move, most cars in urban environments spend over 90% of their time not moving. So we've tried to think about this like a piece of moving space that is useful to someone who lives in an urban environment. And that's, I think, because we're coming from a different world of design of architecture and furniture and space creation. You just mentioned um, Aero. Is it a room? Is it a vehicle? Um, can you tell us a little bit about the story behind the name Aero? As everyone knows, the world of electric vehicles is now here. They're cool, they're fast, and they don't pollute. And I think that's been revolutionary in everyone's creating excitement amongst the general public. But with our project, which is an electric vehicle, which will have the latest, greatest battery technology, we're trying to go further than that. And our car will incorporate a very high quality HEPA filter, which will actually suck in dirt and pollution and brake dust and all of the nasty things that we don't want to breathe in and will clean the air and will pump out that cleaned air. So our car will clean the world around it and one car will make a difference, but 100,000 of them will make a huge difference. Wow, that is transformational. Um, it's basically a vacuum for the roads. 
It is. So um, what difference do you think this will make to the future of travel and also our roads and infrastructure in the cities? Well, following on from my point about cars spending 90% of their time not moving, when we think about what does uh, the contemporary world need, certainly the last year and a half of lockdowns and people working from home, people need flexibility and they need space. And most people's homes aren't designed with home working in mind. So we've tried to think about this car in a much more uh, useful sense of using all of its time and being a moving room or a stationary room where you can have meetings, you can dine, you can game and the seats themselves, because the car will be self-driving or have self-driving capability, the seats can turn around, a table can unfold like in a, an aeroplane business class flight and suddenly you've got a really, really useful room that allows you to do all sorts of things, whether you're moving or parked. The seats can even fold down so that you could have a sleep. So we're trying to make this a, a useful space all of the time, not just when it's a car. Yeah, and you, you just mentioned there, last year where we've had to change our habits. So as we look ahead, what comes after COVID and what will the new normal look like in five years time? Well, in, in our work, we're working with organizations like Google who are now building pieces of city. We're working with developers who are thinking about what comes next because this enforced experiment, which we've all had to endure, has shown that, yes, there have been terrible things, but the good things have been that it's given us all an expectation of control and flexibility in our lives. So people, I think, are welcoming and looking for uh, more useful public spaces, private spaces, and the ability to control their destiny. And a big part of our thinking is about understanding the emotional impact and the positive emotional impact of buildings because you don't have to leave your house you can shop online you can work from home video conference so to leave your home it needs to be worth it so we're really trying to think about what will excite the public and make buildings places spaces cars emotionally engaging and useful that sounds like the absolute dream um, so when can we expect to see this in reality and what's the future vision so the, the, the car behind you is a large model, but we've now been given the go-ahead to start proper design development and we have 36 months to go from the model to the, the reality where this will be on sale and people can buy it and drive it. So we've got to go fast. Amazing. We'll have to put our pre-orders in now. Thank you very much for joining us, Stuart. No problem. Really appreciate Thank you. it. While these transport inventions has kept us at the edge of our seats, the power behind the machine is becoming increasingly important, especially now with the energy debate becoming a very hot topic. So finally, now our technologies who have been developing nanotube batteries to help power the tech behind the tech. So Ian, could you tell us a little bit more about what now our technologies is showcasing today at Goodwood? Okay, so we're showcasing what we call the NOWA racer, but ultimately what we're really showcasing is the actual technology within it. So we're developing a next generation of battery technology, and it's a hybridization of two forms of, a, of, of power solutions. So this unique motorbike basically has two different sections encapsulating effectively battery technology. One is a lithium-ion battery. It's focused on high energy density. The other is a thing called an ultra-capacitor, which basically delivers almost unlimitless power and 100% energy regeneration. So we fuse that together as one energy solution. 
Brilliant. And what kind of, what inspired you to come up with the ideas behind this? So NAWA as a group is a nanotechnology based group. The nanotechnology and the architecture we've produced for the technology is basically uh, the architecture that we actually produce the electrode structures within the batteries from. So we've kind of created this super highway for energy. And if you look at the kind of the, the current position of electric vehicles, whether it's motorbikes, whether it's cars, whether it's commercial vehicles, they're, they're relatively inefficient in the way they're being produced today because the battery's being asked to do everything. So it's being asked to produce power. It's being asked to give you ex extensive range. What we're effectively saying is if you separate those two, if you separate the power and actually allow the battery to focus only on autonomy, the ultra-capacitor technology we have, which is the fastest, most powerful technology in the world of its type, that basically literally delivers almost unlimited power. But it means the battery doesn't have to work as hard. It can just focus on sending you a long way. So essentially it makes it a lot more efficient. So more efficient. In, in real terms, if you look at it as, as a calculated position, you can either remove 50% of your battery mass to meet the same objective in terms of autonomy, or you can just go twice as far. Brilliant. And how, how important is that to the types of people and businesses looking to invest in this technology? Well, I think it's massively important for the whole industry because ultimately where we are today is not, you know, it's really a partial solution. What we're effectively saying is the next generation of EVs, whether it's motorbikes, cars, they fundamentally need to go farther for less or effectively people want to keep the same kind of performance. I and mean, if you want a driving experience from a motorbike like this now a racer, you want the power, the thrill of the power, but ultimately you don't want to trade that with autonomy. So with this, you've got power and 100% regeneration. And then you've also got this ability to maintain your range in terms of autonomy. And the ultra capacitor doesn't have any kind of uh, losses in terms of lifetime. So you can recharge an ultra capacitor thousands, millions of times without losses, whereas a battery decays over life. So it's almost like we're protecting the battery from the actual decay of, of having to deliver power. In terms of your prototypes and how the testing's going, um, could you tell us a little bit more about uh, the process so far and the feedback you're getting with the prototypes? So what we're looking at today in terms of the narrow racer here at Goodwood, it is literally just a static prototype. Um, we have a bike in build now that we'll be testing on a track in France in literally the next month. Um, we have some really high expectations in terms of how that will perform. Um, so it's kind of too early really to tick the technical box. I mean, we know ultimately that our technology works, but in terms of how it performs in the bike, we're yet to see. But if you think about it from a futuristic perspective, you know, all, of the, all of the analysis and the simulations we've done literally show that we're completely differentiated from the current market. So we absolutely believe this is the future in terms of delivering power in EVs. Absolutely. It sounds like there's huge potential for this type of innovation, um, especially for the uh, automotive industry. So in terms of the material science behind this, you've touched on it a little bit, but um, what other applications or other applications do we see for the future of nanomaterials? Yeah, so now we're in itself, we basically produce what's called a vertically aligned carbon nanotube. So if you think about that in the sense of battery technology, these are at nanoscale. So if you take, if you take literally a square meter of our material, there's about 300 trillion of these tiny little carbon pieces on the surface of that electrode. So 
if you took one gram of material, this is mind-blowing, one gram of material will give you a thousand square meters of apparent surface area. So it's, this is off the scale. This is, this is, you know, we're in the future lab, right? But we're, we're outside of even the future lab in terms of where we are going with this nanotechnology. And now as the only company in the world making vertically aligned carbon nanotubes at industrial scale. And we're applying them in terms of batteries and, and, and ultracapacitors. We're also applying them in multifunctional applications. So resistive heating, for example. But we're also applying them in structures. So this bike we're looking at, it's beautiful architecture. A lot of that is, is, is achievable because we're able to put the carbon nanotubes into the composite materials that we use. So we can effectively build the bike lighter and stronger. And again, if you look at that in terms of the EV, the vehicle being lighter means the vehicle will have more autonomy. So we're kind of covering a really wide sphere of, of different markets, aerospace, renewable energy, right the way through to automotive, even space. We have some projects in space as well. Brilliant. So huge things to come. Um, in terms of um, the near future, I know you mentioned we're still in very early stages. What do you see happening in the next two to three years with this? Well, so ultimately we're a materials company. Ultimately we're an energy, battery, ultracapacitor focused business. So yeah, our, our corporate focus is definitely on developing and industrial scaling that technology and delivering it to clients. Fundamentally in terms of now Eraser, when we designed it and launched it at CES in 2020, had such a huge reaction to it that we kind of initially considered whether we ourselves could actually develop it as a road-going product. Um, but fundamentally, corporately, we're still a battery company. So we're looking and talking to potential partners that could take the Nauer Racer into production, which would be really exciting. Pascal Boulanger, who's the founder of Nauer and the CTO of Nauer, um, he's French, he's a, a, got a fascinating mind, but you know, this is his baby and we'd love to see it basically get, you know, eventually be on the road, but it won't be built by now, it needs to be done with a, a trade partner. Maybe a year's time from now, we can take this up the track. I mean, that would be a great thing, right? So, that's it for the transport special. What took your fancy? Could you see yourself taking to the skies in a flying car or would you prefer the option of a super efficient bike like Trigo? Either way, thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe to the Tech Podcast and see you again soon. Bye.